Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's returning guest is Sean Hogan. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely my pleasure. Now, we're here to talk about your new long short, short feature, To Fire You Come At Last, a uh, 17th century story, which we'll go into in a second, but also three films that have impacted everything in your adult life. We've, it's a very narrow band of three films, but I, I'm enjoying the selection. And there's a couple of scenes, and I really like them, so I'm excited to talk about them. But first off, let's talk about your new movie. It's a period folk horror movie. It was uh, very much intended to be in the sort of great tradition of uh, British ghost stories, this kind of supernatural TV of the 1970s and early 80s, you know, the ghost stories for Christmas, the various Hmm. supernatural plays for today. Um, so it's very much a kind of tribute to that tradition. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's basically a, 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 a story of four guys carrying a coffin along, uh, what they used to call corpse roads, which were roads linking sort of far flung country villages with the local churchyards. Um, and there was a lot of superstition that surrounds these roads legends and folklore and the film sort of examines some of that and it's kind of like a little character piece about the, these four guys carrying this coffin yeah it's it certainly plays on that thing of the mystery of the dark and how i guess once electricity came along a lot of the mysteries of the world were solved weren't they one of the things that always really annoys me in films is um when you have scenes at night and they're and you can see everything. It's overlit. <laughs> um, that's just a pet hate of mine. Yeah. And so with this, it was always one of my kind of touchstones that I was like, look, I just want it really dark. I want these this little pool of light where these guys have got their lanterns and I want everything else to fall mm. off into complete blackness. I want them completely isolated in the darkness because that's what it's like in the countryside. I mean, yeah. we were we were filming up in Shropshire in the middle of nowhere. We were like staying in this farmhouse which was in this valley and there was like nothing around it. And you go outside the door, the front door of the house, takes five or six steps and you wouldn't be able to see anything. And that's what darkness looks like in the countryside. And and so that was what I wanted to get on film. 
Fantastic. Well, look, uh, I'm interested with folk horror. Obviously, there's, there's Britain is rich with folklore and myth, certainly to do with the period that your film's set in. Um, is there any particular folklores or myths that you're drawing on for uh, for this story? Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, this is this this sort of goes back a little way with me. Um, I stumbled across uh, some of the folklore about Corpse Roads probably mm. best you know, about 10, 10 or so years ago. Okay, uh, I forget how I came across it, but I started reading about Corpse Rose and some of the folklore associated with him. And I thought, this is really fascinating. And I can't believe <laughs> no one's actually done this. Okay. I was like, this is, yeah, yeah. It's just sort of like, either I'd, I'd never seen anything dealing with that particular kind of folklore. Yeah. And still haven't really. So, so, you know, at the time I was like, well, I've got to use this. Yeah. So I actually wrote a screenplay, a feature screenplay uh, back then called The Corpse Road, mm -hmm. uh, which has nothing to do with this film whatsoever. Mm. Uh, but I wrote it as a, as a feature screenplay, sort of tried touting that about a bit. It never went anywhere. A couple of, you know, there was a bit of interest, but never actually went anywhere. In the end, I turned that into a novel during, I wrote during lockdown, okay. which should hopefully be coming out next year. Oh, that's exciting. So all of a sudden, and, and now having made this film, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm the Corpse Road guy. It's like <laughs> I've carved out this little niche for myself, <laughs> uh, which was completely unintentional, but I'm like, well, no one else has done it, so I may as well do it. Well, this, um, this is it. This is yeah, interesting. It, it, I, spoke to, I spoke to a Manchester writer who was billed as the King of Mank Noir, and I said, how'd you get that title? Because I was the first one to write a Mank Noir book. Um, so... You could be king of the corpse road. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, it was like so. Um, you know, my friend uh, Kayla Janice, who I, mm. I believe has been on your fine podcast, yes, um, she was the she was the one who commissioned me to make this film. She's the executive producer, right? And when she approached me, when she sent me a brief, she basically just wanted to do something that dealt in some way with like ritual belief, you know. And she mentioned Corpse Roads as just one one example. And I saw it and I thought, well, I can't do that because I've already written this book, which was a script before that. And oh, hold on I'm a second. So she mentions she mentions this without knowing that you've already gone down that road. Yes. To, to, to... And I literally replied to her saying, I've already I've just I've just written a novel called The Corpse Road, ha ha. So I probably can't do that again. Yeah. Um but then this idea popped because I say the novel is something completely different and it's contemporary mm. it's not period yeah, yeah it yeah. does deal to some extent with with a corpse road but it's also about a lot of other things okay so i kind of thought well i could do corpse roads because i could dig in more into the actual mythology of them at you know at the time mm. rather than it, it sort of being a facet of the novel um and so this kind of idea popped into my head and i actually wrote something else first which had nothing to do with corpse roads uh, I wrote another, sh and, and it was a conventional short script, which was originally what she asked for. It was like, you know, it was only like 15, 20 pages long. Mm. And it dealt with something else entirely. And I finished it and I thought, you know, I don't think she's going to go for this. I'm going to write this other Corpse Road idea, which I sort of sat down and did and didn't really have any idea. I sort of knew what the starting situation was, but I didn't know where it was going to go. I just okay. sat down and started writing to find out who these characters were. 
and it just kind of unfurled from there. And so I sent when I finished that, and that turned out to be a lot longer. Mm. So I, in the end, I sent them both to her, and I said, "Look, I've written both of these scripts. One's the the short film that you originally asked for. The other one is much longer." Um, but see what you think. And she came back and she was like, I love the longer one. I want to do that one. Oh, fantastic. And I was like, well, okay, I think well, then we need to... You mentioned in Kayla that what we should what I should add is your To Fire You Come At Last is currently, I mean, we're talking hot off the heels of it playing at Fright Fest and it's on its journey yes. now through various festivals. We'll put links in the show notes to say where it's playing next. Um, but it, it's, it's part of a bigger project that's been done by seven... Films, isn't it? What the the film? So, do you want to? Can you talk about what it, where it fits in a in a bigger project? Well, nothing's nothing's been announced yet, so I can't really talk about it. But yes, it's part of it's it's part of something Severin will be putting out early next year, and it's you know an original piece of work commissioned for that. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of, um, but but in the folk, in, we can say it's in the folk horror realm, isn't it? They're, they're, they're sort of picking up. On work that Kayla's already done with the with the Woodlands documentary. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, no. I I, I was specifically commissioned to make a, a folk horror piece. Yes. Fantastic. I mean, that's you know, it's it's a wonderful place. I mean, that 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 documentary that Kayla did is amazing. The whole box set that came out of that documentary is truly amazing. I wish I wish I could get my hands on a copy. But it must be it must be quite feel quite quite exciting to be part of you know doing something new with 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 what essentially is a lot of a lot of old archives. Yeah, it's it's it, in. In a weird way, it's kind of come full circle because um, I, I know when Kayla was sort of doing press for her documentary, she mentioned a couple of times that one of the starting points for it was when she stayed with me in London years ago and she said, show me something I haven't seen before. And, you know, Kayla's seen everything. So I was yeah. like, what the fuck am I going to show you that you haven't seen before? And then it suddenly hit me and I was like, oh, have you seen the BBC Christmas ghost stories. And she's like, no, I never have. Uh, because at that point they weren't really available. Yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. had some sort of, uh, you know, gray market copies, but they weren't really available. So I showed them to her and she loved them. And, and, and she says that was one of the starting points for her interest in folk horror. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So now me doing this in that tradition has kind of brought the whole thing full mm. circle, which is really nice. I have to say that kind of, it feels like the completion of something. Now, I, I spoke to uh, you, one of your, one of your producers, uh, a mutual friend of ours, and and past guest. He did uh, some Turkish exploitation movies on the podcast, Ever Masoy, and he asked me to to uh, prompt you to talk us through the production process and the difficulties of shooting in such a remote location. <laughs> I mean, you know, well, without um, <laughs> going on too much about it, um, you know, essentially, um, I. When I sat down to write this, I just wrote it because I had the idea. I was kind of seized by the idea. Mm. And when it became clear that it was going to happen yeah. and at what sort of budget it was going to happen, I was suddenly kind of hit by remorse. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? We've got to make this for this amount of money. And I mm. remember sending it to everyone and he was like, what what have you sent me? What have you written? This is all outdoors. It's all at night. Um, and we're going to have to shoot in March. Um, so, you know, I really did make a rod for my own back. And it was kind of like the running gag on set was next time, Sean, exterior Caribbean day. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we shot it in five days, which was no time at all. So we had this really, really intense shooting schedule. Mm. 
Um, yeah, we say because we had a very tight deadline on it, we had to shoot in March. So the weather was not ideal, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, there was constant wind. There was uh, intermittent heavy rain. You know, it was muddy. It was cold. Um, it was. You know, we were lucky in that we managed. We had this sort of farmhouse, which was our production base, and we shot most of the film mm. within like fifteen minutes walk of the house. So we were lucky in that regard. Yeah. But even even that was hard work, and there was one day where we went up to these this sort of rock formation to shoot up there, mm. and that was literally just you know the rain was coming at us sideways. There were like people falling down muddy hills. We're carrying camera equipment. It was just you know it, I've never it was the hardest shoot I've ever done easily. Oh really? Um, yeah 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 easily. I mean I you know I've. Low budget shoots, they're always hard work. You're always rushing to get stuff done. Mm. But in the past, I've been sensible enough to write low budget films that were mostly set indoors. Yeah, yeah. And this yeah. this was this was I was like, right, no, now I'm gonna go outside. And it was it taught me never to go outside, you know. Um but uh so yeah, it was incredibly hard work. I couldn't have, you know, the uh, the crew I made it with. The core team of basically old friends of mine. I was at college with them thirty okay. years ago. Right. I could not have done it without them because they just worked so hard and were so tireless. And you know the actors as well. It, you know, I I knew one of the actors, James Swanson, who plays Ransley, I'd worked with before. Right. Uh, but the other guys I didn't know at all. And you know, it's the sort of thing where. The, the cast could have said, "Fuck this! Oh, this is I was paid I, enough for this." I was going to say, what do you, when, when obviously you can, you're not daft, obviously you can sense, you say yourself, it's one of the difficult shoots you've done. So you know it's a challenge, it can, even compared to just doing a shoot. You know, it's a 42 minute film. Five days is not a lot of time to shoot a 42 minute movie. So what, what conversations are you having? Are, are you having, are you having conversations? Or everyone just ignoring the elephant in the room that the weather's terrible and we just got to get it through it? I mean, I was very, very open up front when i went to all the actors i sort of said look this is going to be tough we're not gonna have much time we're not gonna have much money we're right. outdoors in march it's going to be tough so please don't accept the role if you're not up for it uh and i actually did have there was one a a other actor that i offered a part to who again i know and have worked with before yeah uh and i gave him this spiel and he was like yeah i don't think i'm up for that and he basically <laughs> turned it down without reading the script um, he has since expressed much regret to me that he did this, but, 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 you know, I think he would have, you know, it was kind of, it was basically everything I said it was going to be. So I think he probably would have had a hard time if he'd have said yes. So maybe it worked out. So you, best, you, but you, yeah. To go to such lengths with, with, with that kind of location, you did shoot on a corp, on, on a corpse road then? No, we didn't. Um, I, I, I did originally look at doing that because there are still a few existing because a lot of them are just lost to time. Of course. But there of are course. a few where we still know that they were used as corpse roads. Mm. Uh, and so originally I was looking at that, but it was just going to be so difficult logistically to sort of shoot out in the middle of nowhere that when this the opportunity came up for us to shoot at this site in Shropshire where we would have the use of this farmhouse. I just thought that's going to like save us so much time and yeah, money yeah, yeah, because yeah. we have not got a lot of money we can throw at this. Sure. So, and it, and, we, and we, we went up and wrecked it and, and I just found all, all everything we needed. So it was like 
you know, it's it doesn't matter that it's not an actual corpse road because as I say they were they most of them are lost to time. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. So. It felt like one. It felt like one when you watch it. Um one last question. I mean, like like Robert Eggers the Witch, you have a lot of fun with the language of the time that your film is set in. Um and and you know, lots of unusual turns of phrase, lots of I mean, occasional words I've never heard of. Um I mean, do you want to? Do you want to? I mean, I'm, I'm interested in writing such an authentic voice for the time and sort of resources that you would use to to keep yourself in line. Because obviously, you none of us can know, you know, instinctively 17th century. Well, of course English. not. And 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 you know, and I don't, I don't pretend that it's you know that accurate. I mean, mm. Robert Eggers is a more somewhat more uh, fastidious about it than I am. Mm. I know he sort of goes back into like you know period diaries and all yeah. this kind of thing. You know, I, that's that's great, and it works for him. I would much rather just sort of try and write in an idiom that sounds period appropriate for the most part. Yeah. Um, the one thing I do do, and I do enjoy doing, is researching period slang and period phrases, and oh, just okay. kind of putting them in like spice. So some of the words that you're referring to that you've never heard before, and that's probably where those kind of words come ah. from. Um, you know, there's uh, Shabaroon is a good one that I found, and I was like, I'm having that, I'm using that. And what um, does Shabaroon mean? Well, Shabaroon just means a fool, an idiot, you know. Oh, fantastic. Um, but it's just stuff like that where it's just like that's yeah, it just gives you that period flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and the rest of it is, you know, it's sort of it's 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 a very kind of heightened style of dialogue, but it's really fun to write that way as long hmm. as you've got actors that can handle it. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it gestures at being period appropriate, but as I say, I, you know, I wasn't too anal about getting all the specifics, you know, spot on. It's, yeah. it's you know, and, and, and it one, one sound right, hopefully. An aspect of it that really stands out when people get to see it is, is the, um, you've got your four characters and what's interesting is. There's, there's there's this wonderful hierarchy. <laughs> there's somebody at the bottom. There's somebody second from the bottom. There's someone second from the top, and there's someone at the top, and that drives this kind of wonderful, almost I mean, not comedic in a ha ha hilarious sense, but almost a comedic rivalry. That that sort of yeah. I mean, I hope there is. I I hope there is you know comedy in it. Yeah. I mean, it was nice watching it at Fright Fest. It was the first time I've watched it with, a, with an English language audience. Right. It premiered in Korea, but obviously that's a little different. Yeah. Um, but watching it at Fright Fest, you know, I was really glad to see it, the, it was getting laughs in certain places, mm. which are meant to be comedic. One of my original notes to myself when I was thinking about it was, I want it to be like as if Martin McDonough made a horror movie. I want that kind of black comedy mixed with violence and more serious stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, know, yeah. Just no, I that. can see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you know, yes, I, I I hope some of it is funny, and and the and the hierarchy stuff absolutely deliberate. You know, that's um, it's not the film is not about politics <coughs> per se, but it was kind of impossible for me not to have that aspect to it. No, you've you've you know, kind of you've kind of given yourself a vehicle to to make the point without needing to be too on the nose about it. It just is part of the part of the chemistry, isn't it? Yeah, and it's all you know, and it's all about the power struggles between the four guys, and how you know the guy with all the power is not necessarily the most powerful one, and how the guy with no power whatsoever 
tries to play powered games with other people and set them against each other. So yeah, I mean that was one of the things that's really fun to write about it. Yeah, it's just um it's not just the horror movie, it's those kind of character dynamics and the actual drama of it, the, the power plays between them all. That's that's a, something a film you've made with Severin. There'll be some there'll be announcements in 2024, I imagine, about what in what 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 that's part of uh, to do with their folk horror stuff. Um, it's going to play at festivals. Uh, they'll be announced as and when they are secured and stuff. And I'll put a link in the show notes to let people know um, where where it's at. And um, let us move into some weird and eerie TV. Uh, I think I think that's a safe description of what we're about to talk about. I mean, essentially, I think I think going to the English countryside has never been scarier than the three films that you've. Uh, that you've, you've you've highlighted for us. We would maintain that there's no place scarier than the English countryside. Till I saw Killer's um, documentary, I hadn't thought about our the the English the, the English attitude to folk horror and folk legend compared to our European cousins or our further you know further afield cousins who who have a kind of symbiotic relationship with nature where we just think we've got to control it, harness it, or kill it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so the minute we go, the minute we enter it, we go, it's going to get us because it knows what we've done. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we've got three films. And so for those people that don't know the um, don't know the formula, it's very simple. I've got three titles that Sean has shared with me. Uh, We're going to speak for five minutes about each one. When the alarm goes off at the end of five minutes, we will stop talking. You can obviously finish your thought and uh, we'll move on to the next one. That's all right to you, Sean. Sounds good. First out the gate is 1972's A Warning of the Curious, a ghost story by M.R. James, adapted for uh, the second installment of Ghost Story for Christmas by Lawrence gordon Clark, who did The Stalls of Barchester, which is uh, a really one of my favourites of the, of the ghost story. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Series, right? Do you want to talk to us about what 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 it is for you? This one, the warning to the curious. Just to sort of say up front that uh, I wanted to talk about these three things uh, purely because of how they relate to the, the film I've just made for you. Come at last, that kind of yeah 
70s British supernatural TV tradition. So these and in some some of these were very formative in uh, in terms of how I approached that film. Some less so, but I think they're all really standout examples of of that form. Yeah. So Warning to the Curious, as you said, is the the second of the official Christmas ghost stories uh, by Lawrence Gordon Clark. Um, it in terms of its influence for me. Um, you know, Lawrence Gordon Clark, I think, is still really underrated as a British horror director because he worked in television. Okay. Um, I think he's actually like one of the real standout genre craftsmen we ever had. You look at those films he did, the ghost stories, yeah. they're really like exquisitely made and they're very cinematic despite being made for TV. Uh, and they were made on relatively limited budgets. Mm. But what what distinguishes them, I think, or one of the things that distinguishes them is he has a real eye for landscape and setting. And he used to go out and basically location scout these things himself. He would go out and find interesting, interesting locations, okay. you know, st- uh, the right parts of the country to go and film these things in. And, the, and these films really capture that. They really capture a sense of place and they're so evocative in terms of like the, the eeriness of the English landscape. Mm. Uh, and the Warning to Curious does this beautifully. It's 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 a coastal story set on the it's set on the seaside um, in Norfolk, uh, and it really just captures that really odd liminality of the of the British coastline. Mm. Um, and just seeing these films, you know, when I because they're like, like they were sort of unavailable for years and I then eventually started to catch up with them I think they started repeating them on BBC4 several years ago and I started seeing them then and they just really sort of struck me that, that how simple they are it's, you know there's not much in the way of special effects or anything like that but they're really so amazingly eerie and atmospheric yeah and that was something that I was really sort of striving for in my film was again that sort of sense of the countryside, the sense of landscape, and you know, trying to capture this kind of mood of dread and strangeness with very limited means, you know. And these Lawrence Gordon Clark's films are really kind of a how-to guide in in how you approach that. I think they're really kind of a, yeah. a model of economical directing. I mean, I mean, I mean, the, the the ones the ones where there is a lot more interior stuff, which we'll talk about certainly with uh, the exorcism. Um, is a lot more talky, but certainly this kind, this we're well, wanting to the curious and ones where they are going outside, and there's a lot more attention to the to the landscape. There, there isn't the talkiness of what you associate with TV. There's it's allowed to breathe, which is, I mean, was the BBC commissioners on drugs in the seventies? Because how the hell, you know, it feels like a foreign country that was making this 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 type of TV compared yeah, to I now. Yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, obviously the the standard at the time was that you would shoot exteriors on film and then interiors you would go into the studio and they would be shot on videotape which is why you you now look back at these things and to modernize they look quite strange because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's clash between the two formats um that was actually something i thought about possibly doing with mine and then i just thought anyone who doesn't isn't familiar with what that is is just going to think that's really weird so I, I didn't go down that road um but for whatever reason lawrence gordon clark was allowed to go out and shoot on location Mm. You know, he sh- they're all shot on film. They're all shot on location, and it just gives them a feeling that a lot of other BBC drama of the time doesn't have. 
and it, and it's one of those things that helps them feel like mini movies rather than yeah like, without a TV doubt plays. yeah um so i you know i don't know whether it was just because the budgets were so small that he was allowed to do what he wanted um and it, i know it wasn't it didn't come under the purview of the bbc drama department initially i know that because he was part of the documentary department oh my word and so he kind of slipped it in under the radar all right that's me done it is that's the alarm um no it's 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 amazing. I, I must admit, I got the BFI box set when when it was available, the DVDs, and it's not something, it was just something, I'd, in a way, I'd seen clips, thanks to the way YouTube was evolving, but I'd not seen, like, whole ones. When you watch them, certainly, like, his, the one he did for the stalls of Barchester and stuff, it's a really moody piece. Like, it's not, it's... And I would say, and not, and not just because I have commentaries on them, the uh, the Blu-ray upgrades are really worth getting. Okay. They're really remastered. Because those DVDs were a bit were unmastered, they're a bit ragged. Oh, okay, okay. But um, the Blu-rays look really beautiful. So no, it feels it feels like there was a halcyon moment or two for uh, for British TV with this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we can get the whole seventies. You know, the fact that supernatural TV is basically verboten now, unless Mark Gatiss is doing it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the fact that you know, every time you looked around on TV in the seventies, there was something else supernatural horror being produced you know in otherwise sort of relatively highbrow strands like play for today or whatever else you would still get works of you know genre television you know it's just a, a different time as they say yeah 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 and, and i think well you, you you mentioned yourself the the ghost stories for christmas are a are a joy to get hold of and so that and i didn't realize there was the blu-ray so yeah uh, i'll put links in the show notes to that um jumping to uh, another anthology series, the short-lived, I think. I only think it did one, Dead of Night. Um, Don Taylor's wonderful uh, The Exorcism, which is sort of a play for play for today on acid, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, but you can uh, you can tell us more. So uh, The Exorcism again is like classic folk horror. Oh. Um, it's you know it's a story of the terrible city folk coming to the countryside and stirring up ancient forces they don't understand. The silly buggers. Um, it's also, yes, uh, and wearing dreadful, dreadful 70s clothes while they're doing it. Um, it's also explicitly nakedly political. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it is shot through with class politics. It's, it's a remarkably angry piece, actually. Mm. Um, you know, possibly a tad unsubtle in places, but the fact that this, you know, it, but it's all it's angry and it's also quite horrific and quite frightening. Um, yeah, it pulls no punches, doesn't it? I don't think it? it went... I, no, it really doesn't. I don't think it went out at Christmas. I believe it went out around Bonfire Night. Yeah, it was a November, it was a November so, series. Yeah. It was a November series, yeah. Yes, but it's, but it's a Christmas story, mm. um, nonetheless. And the idea that anyone would sit down and watch this thing on Christmas because it's so bleak and it's so unsparing. Mm. Um, and it's, it is very much more in the tradition we were talking about of the TV play. Mm. Um, and it has been done for theatres where you can easily sort of see it being yeah, done as course. a play. A apart from a few exterior shots, it, it is all very much in the one set. Yeah. Um, and that was something that was kind of... I, that... that uh, 
my film sort of nods in that tradition slightly and that it is very dialogue driven more so than say warning to curious which mm. is almost like a silent film at times indeed um you know uh, uh the exorcism is very much a play for television and i wanted to capture something of that i mean hopefully mine's a bit of a hybrid because i was concerned with the visuals as well and i think some of it is very visually driven mm. but i do like that sort of tradition of kind of dialogue tv drama as well and this has some beautiful writing in it um and especially the sort of climactic monologue where you discover exactly what the cause of this haunting is and what's happened and it's sort of like this beautiful uh monologue delivered by anna cropper which is just a fantastic piece of acting mm. um and so yeah and it's also because it's you know the class politics as well again i sort of said that you know i it's mine is not specifically about that it's more a byproduct of that but that that was kind of something of the exorcism that creeped into mine sort of that sense of 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 politics and underlying the ghost story hmm. that was definitely something i wanted to sort of try and capture as well and what do you, what do you think in i mean i mean the idea of i mean this is this i'm trying to think now what year is exorcist now 73 the oh the or the Exorcist yeah yeah seventy three so yeah, we're pre yeah. we're predating the the release of the Exorcist with this wild yeah, yeah, yeah. wild wild play really on television um yeah, I'd lo- yeah. I'd lo- when when I first saw it so the, my first thought was like you know I'd love to get into the into just be sat there in somebody's living room in nineteen seventy two just to get see what the reaction was to this wild TV show you just kind of think would this ever be commissioned now and the answer is no it's you know we we we're lucky if we get like a Christmas ghost story every year, and I think at this point they have sort of passed into a certain coziness, which the older ones still don't have for me. There's they've still got like a they kind of pack a punch and they're still eerie. The new ones feel like it's more of a tradition now, yeah, and they're slightly cozy. They're not making you sit up and go, "What the hell have I just watched?" You know, which. And I think the exorcism still has the power to do that, mm. uh, you know, and I would like to see more, you know, genre TV. Well, I'd like to see more full genre TV full stop, but also that packs that kind of power. Well, I guess, I guess as well, I think what, what, what we're seeing now is sort of tinged with nostalgia. Whereas like you say, something like the exorcism that Don Taylor's written as well as directed is he's letting his emotions go, isn't he? He's, he's angry about something and he's going to put it in his program. And that's you know that's the great thing about genre is that you can you can use horror and and do that mm. and sort of smuggle this stuff in underneath the scares and that's one of the great things about working in horror. And 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 even even when it's made for 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 in a studio like it is, you think of the TVs that people they were expected to watch this on. You know you weren't going to get a visual treat, were you? In terms of no, <laughs> yeah. In terms of what yeah, you would have saw this, this program, kind of stuff on. like you know look, looks probably much worse to us now than it did at the time because we're watching it in high def. And you know, um, but yeah, they're just thinking about you know the TVs you would have the UHD TVs you would have watched it on. You know, it's like it's it, the cathode yeah. rays as opposed to the HDs and the the four Ks and whatever you know the Blu rays. Um, yeah, yeah certainly. Like, certainly, the the video stuff that was shot in the studio. There's only so good that that's going to look. You know, the film, as I say, the you know with the Blu-rays of the Ghost Stories, Christmas Ghost Stories, BF5 have done a wonderful job. They look lovely, but they were shot on film, mm. so there's a bit more scope there to upgrade them. But, yeah. Indeed. For your final selection, we're going to 1976 story called Baby, which was part of Nigel Neal's anthology series Beasts, something I've not seen. 
And now that I know about it, I will be watching it after this conversation, directed by John Nelson Burton. Do you want to talk about its influence on you? What, what's so important about this? And I'm guessing it's it's about making sure Nigel Neal gets a shout out, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, so this wasn't didn't wasn't too much of a direct influence on on the film I've just made, mm. um, but it didn't feel right to sort of do a list of TV folk horror and not have Nigel Neal in here. And, and and you know I think this is a really important piece of work. Otherwise, yeah. So I wanted to include it. Um, I mean, Nigel Neal did you know a number of works which are of you know great importance within the sort of folk horror subgenre not only this but the stone tape uh, he did a tv play called moraine which is also very good even like some of the quatermath films have some degree of folk horror mm. in them um so you know he worked in this kind of register a lot but beast uh sorry not uh, baby um again is is the sort of uh very much a tv play mm. um it has a bit more it's not quite as interior as the exorcism it has a bit uses make uses exteriors a bit more but a lot of it is confined within a farmhouse mm. um and it's basically about again a city couple moving to the countryside uh and they find something dreadful within the, within one of the walls of their this old farmhouse they're renovating um, and it's very much about, again, about the sort of past coming back to infect the present, uh, which is sort of like a classic folk horror trope. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Baby's just so kind of beautifully horrible. Um, and it has this real sense of just creeping dread to it. Um, and um, I mean, as I say, it didn't have too much of a direct influence on this. Um, but it's it is very much about kind of toxic masculinity uh, and and the way it sort of oppresses women. And although there aren't there aren't any women in my film, you've definitely got a very bunch of very toxic men. So, yeah. And that's kind of something you see in this era of TV a lot as well. You see a lot of these kind of supernatural one-off plays are very much about the patriarchy and about you know women being oppressed and and. Uh, and it's using the supernatural as a metaphor for these kind of things, yeah. Which I think Baby does really well. What is it? What do you think? I mean, Nigel Neal spans decades with his work, even at this point in '76. Yeah. Um, what, what you as a fan of folk horror and 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 you know all the orbits that? What do you think it is that he gets so well? He gets so right about about this idea of it's 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 like it's, it's like the old. Bible thing, you know, the sins of the father and that, but actually it's the, it, we're, we're all doomed by the sins of everybody's father from the, you know, as far as the, the present goes. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of, that's, that's part of living, what comes of living in a country that has a lot of history. Yeah. You know, so it's like other younger countries don't necessarily have that, but we have a lot of history. We yeah. may not have much else, but we've got a lot of history. I think Nigel Neal was sort of responding to that. I mean, he was also someone, again, who was, who was a big fan of M.R. James. Okay, okay. So he may well have been influenced by the sort of folk horror aspects of James. Uh, you know, and again, it's sort of like, because folk horror is now, you know, in the last sort of 10, 15 years, become sort of much more codified and recognized as this subgenre. Yeah. But the people who were working in it back then didn't know they were working in it in much the same way that people 
who the directors who made what we now call film noir they had no idea they were making film noir they were just <laughs> making crime movies and gangster movies and whatever it was critics that came along later and said yeah. ah but this is of course this is film noir yeah. and I think folk horror is very similar in that regard it's sort of like there's a lot of arguments about what is and what isn't folk horror mm. uh, and you know this is something I, I've dabbled in occasionally Tim Newman and I recently recorded a commentary for Witchfinder General where we argue that it isn't folk horror um, <gasps> and you know you ha can have all these sorts of debates about it but I think you know what Nigel Neal does in Baby and several of his other works is absolutely inarguably folk horror mm. you know he gets at the core of it it's about ancient folklore that you know that has been buried and forgotten in the past but has now been revealed you know through the forces of modernity have revealed this stuff and it's going to come back and get us yeah because because uh, in, in a way in is a core is a folk horror theme yeah because because in, in in a younger country like america you've got carolyn glover's idea of urbanoia which is obviously the fear of going to the countryside and those people that live there those people that live there are going to get you. Whereas for us, it's it's the it's the literally the journey back to where we've all come from. You know, we all started out in the countryside, hundreds of thousands of years, wherever you want to, wherever you want to started from, and we made cities. So we we basically vacated the we left the countryside behind. It's like there's a sense of like, um, well, I'm too convoluted about like like it's it's like you know we are we are defined by our past. Our past is not exactly precise because it is so old yes. and therefore yeah. there's a, there's a sense you can prick into it like Nigel Neal does and sort of go, yeah, there's, there's a lot of grief in this soil <laughs> and it'll, it'll come back and bite you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you can never, you know, no, no matter how many, how much you try and pave it over and yeah. wipe it away, you can never get rid of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now it's been absolutely, this has been fun talking about these. These are great. These are great, nodal points i think for, for british horror full stop not just obviously tv horror um yeah i mean it's i think it's because it's because of certain issues of availability and and, and a lot of you know i we're only talking about some of the stuff that's like widely available yeah there's a lot of stuff out there that is not really available there's a lot of it on youtube you can find mm. stuff that doesn't have a commercial release but you can find on youtube there are certain things that aren't even on youtube wow. that i've never managed to see there is so much of this stuff out there, and it really is kind of a golden age of British horror, I think, that's mm. not still really not properly understood or properly been examined but mm. just because of availability. Um, you know, people sort of like you say British horror and people think about Hammer or whatever, but yeah. sort of like this wave was coming in just as Hammer were dying out. But to me, this is like a really vital, important part of British genre filmmaking mm. that that's still kind of not really getting its due. No, I mean, and, and to be honest with you, it's like, and I started with the phrase before we before we began talking about it. I think what they what they do is they they look at they, they put weird and eerie under the microscope, which I think is the. I mean, I'm not I'm not nature's best person. If I go out in the countryside, I feel absolutely lost. Is you know, me and animals we're not. You know, I I just naturally in the modern day when I've got nothing to fear. It's like you get me too far away from civilization and I am lost. You know, you get me properly away from it. And so I love the idea. I mean, the, the simple horror in the idea of removing us from our modernity and making us, in in a sense, confront our past, even though, you know, we wouldn't be thinking of it. Um, it's it's there for you. There you look around. It's all there. Yeah, totally. Well, look, sure. 
Tafai, you come at last, is going to be doing the rounds at the festivals. I'll put links in the show notes to show where signpost where it is now. There'll be a release with some other gear, uh, with seven films in 2024 sometime. And again, we'll update it when that's when that news is available. But it just gives me to say thank you very much for joining us on the Britflix podcast. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.